I'm John McKee, editor of Messianic Apologetics, www.messianicapologetics.net. And I would like to welcome you all to this very special episode of Messianic Insider. What is the biggest issue facing today's Messianic movement? And this is the first of a series which uh, we have labeled as Family Unfiltered. About a year ago, uh, when we returned from the IMCS Rabbis Conference, the Lord gave me the strong impression that it was time to relaunch Messianic Insider, and we've done our best to uh, produce new episodes every week. Uh, When we went to the Rabbis Conference this year, I got the impression that we would be retooling some things which we already had and improving upon them. And so uh, the idea of a family unfiltered episode where uh, we would all come together and talk about a particular issue or issues seemed very logical and very important because there is a huge strength we have as a family uh, employing our gifts and talents and skills together, which uh, many others just don't have. So I'm very pleased that we are all here for this first episode of Family Unfiltered. Uh, Before we get into our subject matter, we're going to briefly uh, go around and introduce ourselves. So to start out with, you all know who I am. I'm John McKee, editor of Messianic Apologetics. I have a bachelor's degree in political science from the University of Oklahoma, a master's degree in biblical studies from Asbury Theological Seminary. I've written many books and commentaries dealing with Messianic theology, and I do not believe that any topic is off limits. And if you want to know more about me, you can go to the Messianic Apologetics website and read my bio. So, uh, Maggie, would you please introduce yourself? So I am Maggie Willits. I am John's younger sister. Uh, I also went to the University of Oklahoma where I received my bachelor's in history and then stayed to get my master's in British history where I actually studied and did my thesis on the Hebrew Christian movement in 19th century Britain uh, from the early uh, 1800s to the Balfour Declaration in 1917. Uh, And then once I graduated in 2016, I was commissioned as an NCAA United States Navy as a service warfare officer, what I am still currently doing to this day as a lieutenant. Mother, would you introduce yourself? I am Margaret McKee Huey. I am John's mother. I am Mark Huey's wife, and I am the mother also of Jane and Maggie. I uh, have a bachelor's degree in geology from Vanderbilt University, something that a lot of people don't realize about me. I also come from a family that's strong in the Navy. I was raised at the Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. I have a needlework design business, and I also am an accountant for our ministry, as well as our local congregation. And I uh, am the accountant for Outreach Israel Ministries and Messianic Apologetics. 
Bob. Um, Mark Huey, and as uh, John, Jane, and Maggie say, I'm their adopted father. But um, about 30 years ago, I married Margaret and adopted those three no longer young people. They're young adults now. <laughs> so, uh, oddly enough, I also went to Vanderbilt where I met Margaret back uh, in the early 1970s. We had a little uh, a little problem with me not being ready to uh, settle down. And so she married another classmate of mine who was the father of John and Jane and Maggie. Sadly, he died in 1992. But miraculously, uh, Margaret and I got reappointed in 1993 and got married in 1994. So we're going on the 30th year of our marriage and, and um, during that time, we've been on quite a journey following the cloud and the pillar of fire, and that has led us into the Messianic community of faith back in 1995 after a trip to Israel in 1994 with Zola um, Levitt's ministry. And so here we are, having gone down this route and taken John, Jane, and Maggie along with us uh, since 1995, we've all been very involved in the Messianic community of faith. And in 2002, the Lord led us to begin Outreach Israel Ministries. And and then shortly thereafter, within a year or two, after John was finished with his undergraduate degree, we had him join us with all of his set, and he uh, ultimately began Messianic apologetics uh, a number of years later. So, so we're uh, fully committed and have been. Uh, we're all involved in uh, Messianic Jewish congregations in some regard. Um, uh, we're here in the Dallas area and Maggie over in Jacksonville, Florida. We're all members and uh, exercising our gifts in our respective Messianic Jewish congregations. Thank you very much. And if you all would like to know more, uh, you can go to outreachisrael.net, look on the archives for Outreach Israel News, and for November 2022, uh, more of that story is discussed in 28 years and counting within the Messianic community. Uh, so there's a lot there regarding uh, how the Lord brought our family into the Messianic uh, movement. And Jane, finally. <laughs> Hopefully you didn't forget about me. Um, I am Jane McKee. I am John's middle sister. Uh, the official order is John, Jane, and Maggie, in case you needed the order. Um, I have a bachelor's degree from Vanderbilt University in American history with a minor in vocal performance and a master's degree also from Vanderbilt University. Um, it, my master's is in organizational leadership with an emphasis in leadership development and, and student and personnel engagement and uh, organizational development. So um, in my tenure, I've spent most of my career working in an organizational leadership consulting capacity um, as behind the scenes, internal consulting, business management, financial management, and most importantly, in leadership development, um, coaching, mentoring, and training people to become the best versions of themselves. Um, it's because we're always learning, we're always growing, we're always changing. So, um, and in my spare time, I'm a professional singer here at, in Texas in the symphony. 
Well, I think that about covers the introductions. Now, the main reason we have started Family Unfiltered is so that each one of us can, of course, express our opinion, some strong feelings we have about a particular issue. And a huge part of the Jewish experience, and I've said this many times before, is that no question, no issue is off limits. And of course, a big part of the Protestant experience is God has given each one of us brains and reason, his Holy Spirit, to interpret the Holy Scriptures and to resolve matters because we don't need the Pope telling us what to do or what to believe. Uh, So uh, for this first Family Unfiltered session, uh, we are talking about what is the biggest issue facing today's Messianic movement. And each one of us has picked a topic. And uh, the format we're going to follow is each one of us is going to be making a very short presentation two to four minutes, something like that. Uh, And then we're going to go around and add comments, add uh, observations to this. So I have been voluntold to go first. And uh, what I think the biggest issue is facing the Messianic movement, parity. And that would be things which are witnessed in a local synagogue, a local church, can also be witnessed in a Messianic congregation. Uh, So, for example, our primary mission as the Messianic movement is to be involved in matters of Jewish outreach, Jewish evangelism, and Israel solidarity. But when you look out at many Messianic congregations, and even when you go to... uh, various larger conference-level events. Now, we don't want to speak universally, but when you go to many, that's not most, but many Messianic congregations and various large conference events, it's clear enough that today's Messianic movement is reaching more fundamentalist Christians than anyone else. Now, of course, we want the people in the Messianic community whom God wants, uh, but that should be kind of an alarm. Why aren't we attracting the people we're, our mission uh, has stated we're supposed to be attracting? Uh, in my experience, uh, the Messianic community often balks at addressing many modern and postmodern issues. So, for example, issues of Bible difficulties, Genesis 1 through 11 perspectives, men and women, and the complementarian egalitarian debate. I've said this before uh, in different teachings. This is my opinion. You may disagree, but I think that uh, many people in today's Messianic community have the idea that because they went through such trauma in coming to Messiah faith, or in the case of non-Jewish believers, embracing their faith heritage in uh, the scriptures of Israel, that they are exempt from having to deal with issues in our present world. And my view is that in order to see some of these change, some of these matters change, so that any issue addressed at a local synagogue, a local church, can also be addressed at a Messianic congregation, congregational leaders need to go and they need to visit for, you know, on-site reconnaissance. Local synagogues, local churches, 
and see what is going on, see what is being discussed. Any issue discussed at a church or synagogue should be able to be discussed in a Messianic congregation or venue. Is that possible? Uh, In many places, it actually is not possible. How do we change much of our current religious culture? How do we grow up in some areas? I don't know if there is an immediate answer, but we know, especially from the past few years with wokeism, deconstruction, affirming, uh, some of these very negative things, uh, promoting hyper-progressive agendas, that we are going to have to change some of our ways. And the longer we wait, I think the more painful it will be. So we're going to open up uh, the floor. We can just go in the same order we did for the introductions. Um, Starting with uh, Maggie, do you have any thoughts about this? Oh, I don't want to give any spoilers to what I'm going to say for my points, but I think ours are related. So I I won't get too into detail, but I think, John, there was two things that stuck out to me. You said exempt from dealing with current issues, basically, um, that a lot of people and of course, messianic is is kind of this umbrella term. You know, what does that really mean? Because we have different, you know, what everybody's messianic experience is in their congregation is different because uh, there's different flavors, right? And we've and we've been through different places. At least I can say throughout my throughout my life growing up in this. Um, so I, I think hit the nail head. Being exempt from dealing with certain issues, like. I, I think that there is this prevalence of a feeling of being kind of in this bubble. Part of it is for protection and part of it is fear. I think especially now there is a fear to really talk to for that parody because I think a lot of leaders think that if you start to to delve into that, you're you're now gonna be like a progressive church or a progressive synagogue. And so it's 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 the fear driving that. And so we're just not gonna talk about it. And by doing so then you'll never, you're never going to get, uh, you know, young non-Jewish believers to walk through your door. It's just, it's just not going to happen. Um, let alone, you know, non-Jewish believers, right. Or, you know, non-Jews to, to come in through your door. Right. It's okay, just you mean not, Jewish, you mean Jewish people. Right. Yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah, just, just regular, you know, um, non-Messianic Jews. Right. So I, until they, until we get over that fear and, and take that step forward for that parity, I, I don't see, I don't see how it's going to change. Mother, do you have anything to add to what she just said? Well, John, some of your parody is going to be talked about when I deal with my topic, but the fact that you're bringing up that so many of these topics are afraid to be talked about or that the rabbi has already decided what the congregation is going to believe. And even he might be uh, not realizing that his people are further down the road than he is. And as Maggie said, there's a lot of fear to open up things. You know, if you talk about the women, women in ministry, they're afraid that if if a woman gets ordained and somehow we're going to bring lesbians into the mix. And there's that fear again. It's like, no, there's plenty of, women in ministry in the church who are evangelical and have a true call of the Holy Spirit on their lives to minister to the flock. So the the parody thing is just something that 
I know our family speaks about and, and strives to, to bring out as an issue. And we just have to continue to do that. So, you know, one of my pet peeves is not being able to really deal with uh, the Genesis passages uh, that we could in, that I could back 30 years ago in the church when I was still in the church. So uh, it's, uh, we've got a, we've got quite a, a challenge on our hands to, as we go into this modern era, more so than now, the, as the post-modernity era, we're going to have to talk about these things because they're coming fast down the, down the lane. Right. And Maggie, to the point you made, if we can't deal with issues, which are common and much of evangelicalism, how are we going to deal with issues which are common and much of progressive Judaism? Mm-hmm. So, okay. So, so I'm going to jump ahead in line and do my spot next, if that's all right, with okay. answering Maggie and, and, and your mother. So um, I have a different perspective on this one, um, especially because we're sitting here with our family and um, in our family from the get go. And mama, I will certainly credit you with this. And, and dad has uh, certainly followed up with it since he joined our family. But we don't shelter. We're not sheltered with what's happening in the real world. We've gone through very difficult things, starting with losing daddy when we were little. Um, we weren't sheltered the whole way. We knew it was going on with with the cancer. We knew it was going on with, with the hardships that came with it. We knew about moving. We knew about all those different things. Um, and that's just the microcosm of our own little family life, um, not even dealing with all these bigger world issues, although they affect the bigger world issues and how we interact with them. Um, when it comes to the parity issue, John, I think that this is the same kind of concept of as a family, you don't want to shelter your children from all the hard stuff that's happening. Because if you get into that mindset of, well, they're not they're not old enough to know or they're not big enough to know, how are you going to prepare them for the real world when they're adults? Because all that training starts when you're young. It's the same thing with a congregation. A congregation and congregational leaders have the um, the mantle to train up their congregation, to live in this world. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. But how can we be not of it if we don't have the proper training, if we're not fortified the way we need to be fortified? I know going off to college, I dealt with a myriad of issues. So that was, you know, early wokeism, early progressivism, not even nearly as bad as it is today. And um, and how people that had no, they were grew up in the church, they grew up, you know, however they grew up, but they grew up with this biblical understanding and they don't even make it a month into college before turning away from all of it because they weren't actually trained. They were parroting what what it was when they were amongst that. And now amongst once they're amongst the real once the real world, they no longer carry that with them. The whys behind things have to be discussed to give people the biblical foundation to actually be in the world and be strong in their faith because they're not given the proper foundation if we don't discuss these real things. And if if the congregational leader doesn't feel equipped to to lead it, then Find someone who is more trained in those areas to to do so. Um, it's not it's not a it's not a negative if you we we can't all be trained in all things. All of us come from from different specialties and we thrive in those and we rely on those different specialties the others have to when those topics come up. Um, the same thing can happen in congregations and in the messianic movement as a whole. Use your resources to help build each other up so that we can be strong together. Well, one of the reasons we have our own ministry, Outreach Israel and Messianic Apologetics, is in the event that 
people are in local assemblies where they can't get instruction, they can find people like us. So, Pop, I'm sorry Jane bumped you, but... uh, (laughs) I didn't want to lose that, and after after Mama, I needed to. (laughs) I I think it's uh, important for the uh, audience to understand that uh, our coming together uh, kind of at midlife with uh, uh, children to, to handle... And Margaret and I coming from very strong evangelical backgrounds and truly born again believers. Margaret, with a Methodist background and I had a, a Bible um, church background, but we were, we were very committed in our, in our walks with the Messiah. And we were both very serious about pursuing God, even through the tests and trials of life that we had been through to the point where we got reconnected. And so as we as we came together and and we're really asking the Lord, Lord, why have you uh, allowed us to go through these hard times? And now here we are back together after uh, like a 21, 22 year hiatus. What's it all about? And and so when we made our little trip to Israel and the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh actually impressed upon us when we were there that we needed to go to a, a Messianic congregation of some sort to do something uh, dealing with the feasts of the Lord. We had been to Passover Seders in the past, and we knew some of the things that went on in Passover Seders in our evangelical backgrounds, but moving into a Messianic Jewish congregation allowed us to see the world in a wholly different way. And and so we, we uh, had John, Jane, and Maggie they had to go along with us. They had no choice. They were they were a part of the family, and they got they got fully involved in the uh, the same things we were getting involved in, uh, learning uh, some Hebrew, uh, the Hebraic dance, Davidic dance, all the th- all the things that we were learning. And as we like to refer to it, uh, the Lord cast us on what we we kind of affectionately referred to as our spiritual scavenger hunt. And it's been it's been quite a journey. And during that time, we have uh, we've been exposed to pretty much the, the whole spectrum of the Messianic community of faith, from the, the very staunch Messianic Jewish crowd to the Hebrew roots crowd. And it's it's been a, it's been an interesting, um, I guess, experience for each of us to see all of the uh, different characters that we have had to get to know up close and personal. We've had many conversations with so many of these folks. And, and so we've, we've seen the, uh, the types of leaders and the way a lot of them handle uh, the issues that they're dealing with today. Now, mind you, this has been a 30 year walk for us. It, it's, it's, it's not something that just started in the mid nineties and we went through all sorts of gyrations uh, as a as a country, like we're going through now, and and what we went through with Y two K, and all the things we went through with nine eleven. I mean, it's just been all sorts of things that we've had to contend with in whatever body that we were uh, involved with at those points in time. So, different uh, congregational leaders have handed the handled those things in different ways. For the most part, as John I think was alluding to. Uh, they really don't want to deal with them uh, because sometimes their opinion might be too controversial and they, and they don't want to perhaps 
run off some of their potential congregation members. So rather than rather than confronting and and digging into uh, these topics that might create angst among some of their folks, for the most part, they tend to ignore them, and they and they want to do things which we're happy with, which is let's say do the weekly Torah reading and the Torah study and and have the traditional uh, liturgy and this that, and another. But for the most part, we're not always sure. And we feel pretty adamantly that uh, that they really aren't feeding the flock in a way that the flock needs to be fed, especially as the Internet has taken off over this course of time. So when we first got involved, the Internet was really a, a dream. It was pretty much shortwave. It was just, we were getting our alternative news from the shortwave channels that we would tune into. But we've been researching and digging and digging and constantly pursuing the Lord during this entire time, each each of us individually and, and that, then us collectively, once we formed uh, Outreach Israel Ministries and the appendage uh, Messianic Apologetics. And so part of our whole part of our whole approach was because and I'll talk about this when I get a topic here uh, is. Uh, we didn't see the unity that we thought we would like to see in just about any of the places we've ever uh, attended or been a part of. And that's that's kind of sad to me, because we thought now that we're finally looking at the scriptures from Genesis 1-1 through the end of Revelation, that, hey, we're going to have the whole counsel of God, and we've got an opportunity to to actually walk out this walk of faith that has been modeled to us from Abram, Abraham on, okay? And that's what, quite frankly, Margaret and I have tried to do as best as we can to model that for uh, John, Jane, and Maggie. And I'm, and I'm, we're just delighted that they, in their own walks, are in many regards doing the very same thing. And that 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 really warms our heart to know that they are walking the walk of faith and but not doing it blindly because they all have very good minds very curious minds they're diggers and they're researchers and they are independent thinkers and that to us is quite a blessing all right and before we get to maggie i just want to briefly interject how uh, many of us should be familiar with the line from jurassic park life finds a way well if people who are in leadership positions of influence teaching do not speak out on particular matters of substance people are looking for answers on the internet will find a way and they will get their answers probably from the wrong place Uh, so that's one of the reasons why we've got these family unfiltered uh, episodes coming So, Maggie, what is the biggest issue facing today's Messianic movement? So the point I have is uh, silence to modernity slash post-modernity. And there's a a lot of points that can be made. But uh, the one I want to start off with is more of a effect than a cause, or at least one of an an effect um, that we can kind of see. And 
and it's not going to be the same at every congregation, right? And the things we're talking about isn't the, this isn't, I know we're talking kind of generalization overall, what is impacting the messianic movement. And, and by and large, it's going to be somewhat similar in the most places, but it's not necessarily like everything doesn't happen in a vacuum. But one point I want to talk about uh, with silence and modernity, post-modernity is how this causes a reverse, like a reverse pyramid at congregations. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is a, is a, as we talk about an age pyramid, right? As, and we see this in the general population too, right? Typically, the, what a normal pyramid would have is older generation, smaller at the top, younger generation, bigger at the bottom, right? And so think about the places we've been or where we go now. What is the makeup of the, of the, of the ages of our congregations or other places we're familiar with or, or people we talk to that don't, you know, that go to other congregations, right? I guarantee you it's not going to be a standard pyramid, right? Where there's more young people than older people. Um, some places it could be completely inverted, uh, where there's, it's almost all, you know, boomers and very few millennials, Gen Z, um, you know, Gen Alpha. Um, I think a lot of places probably are maybe this kind of like, you know, oval where, You've got, you know, younger boomers and Gen X is kind of your majority um, in the in the middle. So people in their in their 40s and 50s, uh, it's just going to depend. But I I doubt it. I have a hard time believing that at at majority of places that your biggest group is going to be the younger generations. And I think one of the main reasons that is, is because of being silent to modernity, post-modernity. And. Part of that, and my second point would be, part of one of the reasons it is we're staying too sheltered, and we've already kind of discussed this, and too isolated. I think a lot of people get in their own little messianic bubbles, and you, you, and you kind of see that too. You see that with messianic Judaism. You see it with different flavors of that. You see it with different flavors of Hebrew roots. John, you've talked about pronomian Christianity now. Like you, you, you see. So what does it what does it mean in messianic? We don't really know. Right. In some ways, because there's no there is no monolith and I'm not advocating for a monolith necessarily, but we have these pockets and with the po- with these pockets, it's 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 hard to grow. Right. Um, and so we have these bubbles. And so we're kind of containing ourselves from what's out there. And it's kind of that fear also that we talked about earlier about, well, if we engage in these topics that could potentially open the door for other people to step in. We're, we're not going to do that because we don't want to let the bad stuff in. Um, and that leads to my third point. Um, and we, we've already talked about the internet. We've already talked about, you know, life's going to find a way. People are going to find a way or find other teachings. And again, this is not, it's not at every place, but it's certainly, I'm sure at a lot of places is tolerating or in, or entertaining fringe beliefs right and what i'm for example flat earth right and age of the earth and just basic scientific facts right for example for example and just hey i'm just going to be super literal and fundamentalist and i'm just going to go to that because that's what's easy and not go okay there is other things out there that we can research because we will not grow if, especially with non-believers, Jewish 
or non-Jewish if we don't if we don't talk about those things. Like if, if there is if you had a young, you know, Jewish couple come come through that was raised Jewish, I guarantee you they did not get raised on flat earth. And if they hear that, they will walk right out the door. Like it's just you you're it's not even nope, you've already turned them off to Yeshua. It's just it's it's ain't gonna happen. So I think those are the things that are contributing. A few other things can are contributing. And it's, again, it's not mutually exclusive. There's going to be, you know, nuances depending on where you are. And, and it's not, you know, I guess it doesn't all happen in the vacuum, but we have to look at what, do, what, how does, how are our congregations made up? Are they made up of primarily young people, primarily old people? And why, what is driving that? And I, I don't, if we don't take a hard look at that and the same thing is happening in Christian evangelicalism, right? And it's like, John, I know you're talking about wokeism, evangelical, all of these things. This, like, we have to look at those things too. So, and if we don't, if we keep remaining silence to this, it, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. Well, Maggie, I think you've made some excellent points. I'm going to politely interject something. Uh, I have been in the Messianic community for three decades of my life now, but I do remember evangelicalism pretty well. And I remember having to attend my late father's, our late father's Sunday school class uh, at Christ United Methodist Church in Florence, Kentucky. And I know that there were issues addressed there in the late 1980s and early 1990s, which still cannot be easily addressed in the Messianic community. Yeah, because we're behind. We are behind. And uh, yeah, so that was around 35 years ago. Now, you mentioned a few things. uh, Flat Earth, the age of the universe, these kinds of things. Um, I think officially in a lot of my Messianic experience, I have encountered people who will say those are not salvation issues. It doesn't matter what Mm -hmm. you believe regarding those issues. Um, The good news is about Yeshua him sacrificed for sin, resurrected from the dead, uh, etc. Those are reliability of the Bible issues, which everyone is going to work through at some point in their faith experience. How do we see our religious culture change so these, even though officially are not salvation issues, they nevertheless are treated as salvation issues. And with some people, it's going to be rather easy. Oh, of course, I just need to but with other people, it's not going to be easy. Uh, so, but to interject uh, on that one, no, John, they're not salvation issues. But if they're not addressed and fortified, they do lead to people leaving mm-hmm. leaving the faith and losing their salvation. They are stumbling blocks. They, they are. They are huge they stumbling keep blocks. People from coming in. Mm-hmm. So, people mother, how would you? Uh, how would you encourage a more of an open discussion and open dialogue about these ma- kinds of matters? Well, I'm first going to deal with this pyramid that Maggie talks about with these old people, boomers, of which I'm part of, and the young people. One thing that is missing because of people not wanting to uh, upset others is the lack of a true gospel message of pe- getting people born again, getting the younger folks born again. I read an article very recently about the 
the families where the young folks were raised in, in the church and they were raised at a home that talked about the Lord and shared their experiences and that these young people did get absolutely born again, not just saying a little prayer, but they actually got born again, dealt with their sin, repented of, of sin, even if it was just sins in their heart because they were good flesh. But these are the young people who stayed in church, who when they went off to college, got involved in the youth groups. When they got married and had their own children, they were in a church or a Messianic congregation. And you three epitomized that because you were raised in that kind of home and you were all three radically saved in your teens. You don't question, do you know the Lord? You don't question, do you hear his voice? And you don't question that you need to be with believers in a, a congregational setting, that you like that, you love that. And it, this article also said that it's not what is not it's not keeping people in the church or whatever because of the music or the smoke machines or the big screens. It's the art that did they really get born again and do they understand the importance of leading their own little family into the ways of the Lord? And that when we first joined, got into the Messianic um, arena, the Messianic movement and left the traditional churches we came from. That was important to me. I thought, oh, my goodness, this is going to be great because the, the commandments are important. It's a way that we walk in sanctification, walk in holiness to know what the commandments are. It was part of my religious background as a evangelical Methodist. So if we part of the reason we have this upside down pyramid where the old folks are top heavy and dying off and the young folks aren't really there is because. They didn't get born again. They didn't get raised in in uh, a believing family. And yet some of your strong uh, young people, uh, young couples with their families are ones who weren't raised in the church, but heard a dynamic message and turned from their wicked ways and came to the Lord. And now they know that this is what they want for their families. And they're going to raise their children up in a way that they didn't. You know, we have relatives that were raised in strong Christian homes. And yet their own little children don't know anything about Jesus. They certainly don't know his Hebrew name is Yeshua because the parents are going to let them decide when they're older, if they want to go to church, or they're going to decide not to go to church. And this thing about the, uh, if, if we don't talk about these things in, in our families, in our, in our classrooms, in our, um, messianic, um, Shabbat schools and the church's Sunday schools, people, people will find the answers. It, you know, one of the things that you don't want your children to learn about how babies are made from somebody on their school bus telling them or watching some activity they shouldn't be seeing. You have to, you know, that's a, a topic that is very uncomfortable to everybody. You have to make sure your children know about the facts of life early enough so that they, they know that they can come to their parents to find out stuff. Well, we in, in uh, religious leadership, we're kind of parents of other people. And we've got to be able to talk about stuff. You know, um, I'm not going to go any further because I'm going to get into some of the things for my topic. But um, we have to always be listening, always be learning, always be wanting to know why do we believe what we believe. 
Pop, I'm sorry they jumped in ahead of you. That's all right. Hey, I, I think uh, our family's kind of unique because we've had the privilege of, uh, number one, uh, Margaret and I were born again, uh, myself at 27 and Margaret at 30. Mm -hmm. And so when we became believers, it was really uh, a radical change. It was a 180 degree turnaround in who we were or what we thought we were in one way or another. But as a result of that, we know the born again experience is real and, and, and we need to um, know as we pursue the Lord and get into his word and to develop that relationship with him so he can hear his voice more clearly that that's, that's, that's very important to us. And we tried to impart that to you all. And, and thankfully each of you all had your own unique uh, salvation experience. And so we're very confident that, that when you each came to faith in those, you know, critical you know, 13, 14, 15 year old experiences, that it was it was real. It wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, you you understood your your nature. You understood the, the sin patterns you might have already taken upon. But when you got born again, we saw radical changes in each one of you. So that that was a blessing. But I guess for us, and I, I won't spend too much time talking about this because being a baby boomer, uh, Maggie probably wants me to be quiet as much as possible. But <laughs> the point being. We've had the privilege because we stepped out in faith and we've been involved in ministry. Okay. We have been involved in ministry for our entire uh, married life for, for the most part. I mean, as, as we had to, you know, kind of pull ourselves away from the, the, the business opportunities we were involved in uh, uh, pre our marriage, but you know, and, and it took, a, it took a pretty radical thing for us to do that when we, we sold our home and and uh, and followed the Lord's leading to Honduras when you guys were, I don't know, you know high uh, senior, uh, sophomore, and uh, you know six years old, and and that, that in and of itself, you know whether you all want to admit it or not, was probably one of the best things that we ever did as a family because then we were put into another culture. And we had to really just bond as a family and, and, you know, on a little island down in the Caribbean. And let me tell you, uh, you all, you know, were a little bit concerned about why we were even doing that at that point in your lives. But but guess what? When you realized we could come back and actually find a Walmart, you guys were delighted when we could finally come back to the U.S. But the point being, we have been on that walk all of this time. And Margaret and I have been modeling that for each of you, and I think, I think uh, that's a privilege we have as a, as a family because to us this is not just a a, a Saturday or Sunday activity. Th this is who we are, and it's something we walk out every day of the week. We don't we don't just uh, we just don't play at being a believer, and we feel each of us have calls, very unique calls and giftings that the Lord wants us to exercise and just like muscles if you don't exercise your muscles they atrophy and they and they become useless so once again i, I hate to be bragging on you all but i'm so glad you all are exercising your spiritual muscles and being useful citizen in god's kingdom 
Mother, what is the biggest issue facing today's Messianic movement? Well, my biggest pet peeve is there's a lack of a solid theology. And we have, and I'm not saying that we have to have a a solid theology, meaning it only has to be like this. It's like, no, we have to have it in a certain tier system of the things that are really important that everybody needs to believe and then gradient down. But we've got people coming from all arrays of backgrounds into the Messianic movement. We've got the, the Jewish folks who are getting born again, and they come from either the, an Orthodox background, Reform, conservative, or they just come from a cultural Jewish background. They, they're Jewish. They know that's important, but they don't have any training. And then we have people, Gentiles, believers coming in from all different kinds of Christian denominations. And so we've got some people who believe, you know, once saved, always saved. And other people believe you can lose your salvation. You've got people who um, believe that when you die, you go to heaven to be with the Lord, or they believe that you don't go to heaven. You are, uh, you have this thing called soul sleep that your body, your soul is captured within your dead body and waits to the resurrection. There are things like, um, I know that we have been, as Mark said, we've been uh, around for 30 some years in this movement. And we have seen from both the Messianic Jewish and the Hebrew roots movement, all kinds of beliefs. And I know one group, uh, Hebrew roots group, they liked having a big tent. They just wanted everybody to believe that they were part of the lost tribes. Uh, uh, you know, we, we met some of those folks and because they wanted a big tent, that group now has, not only soul sleep that came in from the worldwide church of God, but they, a lot of them believe in polygamy, something that's because, well, it's in scripture because of the 12 tribes. They had to be, you know, started out with all those, the, all that, all those different wives or, and concubines. The point is without a solid theology, you've got people believing all kinds of things. Um, there's the post-trib and pre-trib um, uh, tribulation. It's not a salvation issue, but many people make it that. And you've got the, you know, my pet peeve, you've got the 6,000 year creation that people believe is taught in the scripture. And then you have people like me who believe in an old earth creation. And I believe the scripture points that too. Uh, and, but these are things that um, I know that John does the new members class at our local congregation. And, we have people who come in, mostly Gentiles, who are from di- absolutely opposite theology, theological um, backgrounds. And so there, one woman was just shocked that, uh, that we weren't teaching adamantly that you uh, once saved, always saved doctrine. And and she was shocked there would be people in the messianic movement who would think they could lose their salvation because she had come from a very strict Baptist background and she did not know that there could be anything else. She thought that was all heresy. And so we've got to go away from a big tent where anything goes, but obviously the most important thing is it's Yeshua. You have to be born again and, and, and have people know what that means because 
people come from the different backgrounds and they think that, well, you can be born again at three years old. Well, I don't believe scripture says that you can be born again at three years old. You're still under the grace of the Lord. You have to be at that age of accountability when you finally understand not what good and bad is, but what sin is. And it's not until you're, uh, and, and, you know, the very fact that we have the bar and bat mitzvah in Judaism and in Messianic Judaism, and you have the, in the church, you have a confirmation type thing at that age of early accountability, when you're accountable, when you are old enough. And that tends to also be when we are changing uh, with our hormones and, you know, little girls become young ladies and little boys become young men physically. And so the problem that I see is they're afraid to have a theology. They just want it to be Yeshua, you know, change the name from Jesus to his Hebrew name, Yeshua, and do the feast. But if you're a Gentile, we're not going to put too much on you because they think that's what James was saying in the Jerusalem Council. And we're supposed to obviously work together and and have the Lord as the most important thing so that some of these other issues can be um, put in their proper perspective. But at the same time, they need to be discussed. They need to. Um, and, and, and I find that I've always said to people, there's no two Messianic congregations. They're all everyone is different. You know, we belong to um, the Messianic Jewish Alliance of America through our congregation. And the and I know that when we go to different conferences and meet people they're they're they wouldn't teach what we're teaching at our congregation. And so I don't know what the answer is to this other than I think it's also wrapped up in the um, modernity and post-modernity issue, that there are things that they're afraid to, to be more specific about tenets of the faith. They are often in the Messianic Jewish congregations. They don't want to put anything on the, on the Gentiles. And they tell some of the Gentiles who really want to learn more about, what were we supposed to do before all this got changed in the second and third centuries with the church coming in and, and changing things with the different edicts? Um, they're afraid to tell Gentiles to do anything more than just love everybody, just love, you know, and just be here. And, but you don't have to only, this is just for, you know, it's only the Jews that have to do this. Well, well, in, if you are born again, it's a work of the Holy spirit that nobody's under any obligation. The Holy spirit is going to show you what you need to do. And it, it is a, it, it is a work of love in your heart from him. It's a work of agape that because the Lord resides in you through his Holy spirit, you're going to go out in agape expecting nothing in return, except to serve others and walk in his ways in a walk of holiness. So I have a lot of ideas about this and I just know that a lot of people are floundering, but one reason that we do have our ministry, Outreach Israel Ministries, Messing in Apologetics with all these educational books is to help people with these different issues. And to, we also share what our family has been through. And so it's an ongoing problem. And a lot of what we are saying tonight is the fact that we, we are all in these bubbles, whether it's a church bubble or the Messianic Jewish bubble, the, the, the Hebrew roots bubble, and people are afraid to get controversial. It's not controversial to ask questions. It is not controversial to to find out potential answers. It was pretty controversial when we left the regular evangelical Christian faith and came into the Messianic 
movement. That was pretty controversial in our extended families. They wondered, are you all trying to be Jewish? No, we're trying to be biblical. Well, because they didn't see it the way we did. Some of them don't even remember that Jesus is really Jewish and that they didn't realize how Jewish the New Testament is until we were able to point some of that out. But so we have had to pretty radically look at how we were raised. And it's not that I believe differently from when I was raised as an evangelical Methodist. I understand more. It is deeper. I understand Yeshua better because I put him in his timeline. I put him in his Jewish timeline and I get so much more out of scripture than I ever did when I thought it was written just to me as a love letter instead of it's an historical document, this whole thing. And it's written to the people of its times. It's written to them, but it is written for us. And I get more out of, out of, my faith journey than I ever have because of, of coming into the messianic movement and knowing that all, all of scripture is for us. It, it's not the, in the church, it's like, Oh no, that's just for the Jews. And this is just for the Gentiles. No, it's for all of us, but the Lord will lead you. The Lord will lead you. If you have a strong faith and a strong walk. And I am so thankful that I am in the walk that I have with the understanding the Jewishness of the Bible and the Jewishness of, of Jesus and that his mama called him Yeshua. John, can I just add to that real briefly? Uh, and I think because we came in from uh, evangelicalism into the Messianic community with, with strong beliefs and a strong desire to know God, we saw so much, we saw so much error uh, in, in all the stops along the way that that in and of itself is what, what prompted us to start writing. I mean, we, uh, we, we said over and over again, why do all the non-Jews come into the Messianic Jewish camps and want to tell the Messianic Jewish rabbis how to run their congregations when they grew up in a Baptist or a Methodist or a Bible church their entire life? And they have no idea what the guys and gals that were called to start these congregations Grew up in and why they, why the Lord was, was birthing all of these Messianic Jewish congregations around the world so that the, the incoming of the Jewish people more and more post, uh, the reconstitution of the state of Israel, uh, the, uh, the liberation of Jerusalem, the Yom Kippur War, all the thing, all the, all the post Holocaust stuff that happened. And now all of these Jews are coming to faith. And let me tell you, they didn't have a background in uh, believing that Yeshua was the Messiah. So so they made a radical departure from their background. And so you had a lot of them bringing things in that, well, were questionable, as well as the, the non-Jews coming into the camp, especially during the mid-90s and early 2000s. And they, they were trying to force their thoughts. And so we said, hey, this is crazy. What can we do? What can we do to bring some kind of semblance of sanity into the camp. And that's what prompted us to start, you know, doing the writings that we've done. And of course, our our three cardinal rules of our writings is they got to be loving and they've got to be balanced and they got to be scholarly. And in other words, we're just trying, we're just trying to help those that are coming into the camp from outside of the Jewish world, whatever part of the Jewish world they came from, and hey, 
come in here and learn. Do the things that we, we had to learn, which, hey, the whole foundational building blocks of our entire faith system is found in Torah. And, and, and that's a part of the scriptures that we knew some of the, some of the stories. We knew about Adam and, you know, we had all the felt board presentations about Adam and Eve, Noah and the ark, you know, Samson and, I mean, we, we had a lot of the felt board stuff, but we really hadn't studied the Torah. And that is really, if you don't have the foundational building blocks on the entire faith system, what's going to happen when the troubles come in your life if you don't really know where your faith originated and, and what 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 the, the fathers and mothers and matriarchs and patriarchs of our faith went through. And in fact, by the grace of God, when when Moses was, was uh, recording all this, guess what? He was all all the warts and all the pimples and all the problems these people were dealing with are right there in the scriptures. So they had some of the very same problems coming through their walks that modern people have. So anyway, we're that's just, that's just to, to say, yeah, the theology. I think Margaret, the reason we we jumped into this in, in, with both feet and not turning back is because hey, we want to try and help people come in. And be nice and love one another, regardless of some of the differences of opinions about certain subject matters. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the things I hope you were picking up from all of the discussions we've had thus far is how uh, there is a lot out there in our messianic experience, our understanding of different matters, which is unknown. Too much is unknown. And too many are afraid to discuss various matters. Uh, they don't know how their own faith or relationship to God possibly is going to change if they open up a particular topic. And, you know, I need to resolve this myself before we teach it to a congregation or group of people. Now, for my own self, uh, as a teacher and as a researcher, how have I been able to cope with uh, the lack of a theology or just too many opinions on too many topics. One of the things we do have to recognize that this is different from the Protestant experience, where you've got whole denominations which are larger than the worldwide Jewish population. Judaism is very pluralistic. I think the total numbers of world Jewry are like 18 million. Everyone is essentially thrown together. Uh, you've heard the adage, two Jews, three opinions. Mm -hmm. uh, you get around Jewish people, you're going to see a lot of different opinions, and they disagree, and they will fight each other until they're blue in the face. But because there's so few of them, afterwards they'll go have nosh. Whereas if you're in a Protestant setting and you disagree with someone, uh, you may never talk to that person again. <laughs> Likewise, if you don't like first church, what do you do? you go across the street to second church. You don't like second church, you go down the street to third church. So uh, one of the things which is widely communicated in Messianic Judaism for non-Jews is you've got to be called, especially at this phase of development. This is one of the reasons. Things are still in process. And so a major part of our ministry, what we're trying to accomplish with things like Family Unfiltered now, how do we facilitate stability? Because 
The world is not going to wait for us to get our proverbial act together. The world and the systems of the adversary are going to come. Uh, they're going to pressure the people of God. And so how can we be about facilitating stability? Uh, there's no easy answer to that, but that's a major part of what we're doing here. So, uh, Maggie, do you have any feedback for, for what Mother has said? Yeah, after I got bumped by a few people. Um, so, there's a couple things, Mama, that I, I want to hang on that you, you talked about. Um, so, I agree with you. There is a lack of a solid theology. I, I definitely agree with you there. And that's why we have so many different flavors everywhere. But I'll, I'll say something positive before I get to the more problematic stuff. One thing about the Messianic movement, no matter where you go, I would say you look around and it's going to be one of the most diverse settings yes. you will be in. Yes. And it's kind of funny, especially in this day and age where diversity is such a big buzzword, right? It's not a bad thing. It isn't. Because that's the Lord bringing this diverse group of people together. You're going to have people, <coughs> excuse me, you're going to have people not only young and old, but from different races, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, Jew and non-Jew, different flavors of that too, and, and different socioeconomic bathrooms that are all coming together that you're not going to really see to the same degree in other settings in other churches or even other synagogues. You're just not going to see that. And that is something that is powerful and unique about this movement. Now, that's that. And that's one of the things I love about it, right? Now, some more problematic stuff, right? You say kind of like this big tent, big umbrella that, hey, everybody comes in. And I think there's two things that are happening when you have that. I think some people, when they come in, they're still holding on to everything where they came from. They're just now saying Yeshua instead of Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. But they're still maybe a Baptist. They're just now, you know, or, you know, I'm, I'm not Baptist, but, or they're still Methodists, or they're still like, you know, a conservative Jew, but now like they're still having to deal with their, their past. And I'm not saying you have to shed all of that. I'm just, that is how they grew up. That is how they were raised. That's how they were trained. And so how do you figure out, you know, what, what am I, what do I believe now? Right. And then you think you also have the opposite thing where people would just want to completely reject where they came from because I was right. lied to. Right. Catholics lie to me. The Baptists lie to me. And I don't want anything to do with what they have to say. I think everything they say is false. And it's like, okay, which is also problematic. So you kind of have these two extremes. And that's not everybody. There's people that are, you know, Hey, I'm here to learn. I, I, I'm here for a reason. I've already, you know, the Lord's called me to be in this. But there's some that are dealing with baggage and are, and are uh, responding to it in, in one of the two extremes. I think you have that problem. Mm -hmm. um, and with that, especially with, I think, more so the ones that want to reject where they came from, it opens up for fringe beliefs. It opens up for like, ah, I was lied to. So this must be the truth. And I found this thing on the internet that this guy said, and he's got videos and likes, and he has a big long beard. So he must be a prophet. I have to listen to him. Right. And I said, long beard, dad, not, I didn't say beard. I said, long beard. Okay. And, you know, he can predict, you know, when 
the end times are going to happen. I'm going to write a book on it and then write a second book on it for a new date, you know, all these things, right? And those, and those things you can kind of fester and come in if they're not checked. Um, you know, and it's like, if you were to ask somebody, like, I think we would all have generally the same answer. If you said, Hey, uh, if you talk, if, if you, if somebody on a plane, you know, asked you, you know, you know, what do you, what do you believe? Or, you know, what denomination are you going to say, okay, I'm a messianic believer. And, and you would have, you know, a few things you would say, be more gen- generic and very, you know, basic, but you probably have something to say, but everybody else that's in the movement might have something a little bit different. But if you go a little bit deeper, do we have, you know, one of my favorite authors, right? As C.S. Lewis, as you all know, one of my favorite books is Mere Christianity, right? Now he was Anglican. He was an, an evangelical Anglican, right? Prior atheist found the Lord and Christianity is a great book. I don't know if we have anything that could resemble that kind of, do we have a mere, you know, mere messianic movement? Do we have anything that we can, that people can kind of gravitate toward and go, okay, well, everybody's going to have opinions, right? Especially with the saying, you know, two Jews, three opinions, right? I think that's prevalent in our movement too, but do we have anything that can kind of bind us? And I, I think there's factions that do, but not overall. Um, and so, and sometimes I think there's loose associations. Yes, it's not really a denomination. Yes, there are, there are organizations, there are alliances, but there's no checks and balances, so to speak. Correct. Um, you know, it's, it's just kind of a loose association, um, so to speak. Yes. And then... I also think another thing that really doesn't bind us as it should or why it's not a solid, like, and this is, it goes into solid theology, but it also goes into just like how we are as a movement. One, one of it is solid theology. The second is I think so much we focus on, okay, we're trying to get back to how first century believers did things. And that, and that's true. And we should do that. Right. But I don't think a lot of people that are in the movement understand how we got here. And what I mean by that is what happened, you know, post, po- po- post the biblical period, right? And post, you know, how, you know, how did the Messianic movement come to be? And I didn't really know that much either. And it wasn't until I was in like college and graduate school where I even really learned about what the Hebrew Christian movement was. Mm-hmm. And it just blew my mind. And I know like I, I studied 19th century British evangelicalism and how the time period of the Victorian era really was ripe for, you know, the question of, okay, for the longest time in church history, how do you deal with Jews? How do you convert them? Well, once they convert, they're a Christian now, they're no longer a Jew, right? That's, that's, the, that's the problem, right? Yeah. And with the Hebrew Christian movement, Christians were realizing, okay, we have to take a different approach. How can you be a believer and still be Jewish? Now, of course, there's, and there was also a shift going from Hebrew Christian to Messianic Jewish, right? Mm-hmm. And I think if, if we understood that, that, that history of the last 200 years, I think that would also be kind of a, a binding agent too, um, to understand our, our more current history, right? Yes, we're going back to how, how it was in the first century, that, you know, uh, after, you know, with, with Yeshua, but, we also kind of want to know, like, how did we get here? It wasn't just like all of a sudden, okay, the internet was invented and people, you know, started to figure it out. And that's kind of how it seems a lot of times. And that's, that's true for a lot of people. You know, they were able to access podcasts and teachings online. Like the internet had a huge effect. on And I, I think we all understand that. 
but there was other forerunners that helped us get here. And how did that happen? And I think that if you kind of have a little bit of that understanding, because that is one thing that the church is good at. And I think so, so are, you know, so, and so is Judaism is they understand the church fathers. They understand, you know, uh, the sages and, other, and, and, and historians and like they, they understand those things. They understand the post-biblical era. And we don't really, I think, do as good of a job in understanding that, if that makes sense. So those are my, those are my points. Jane, do you have any uh, feedback to uh, mother's assertion about no definite theology? So much to say. Um, and I don't want to give away some of the stuff I have to speak when I get to my topic, but uh, I will add to what all of you have said that um, just from my own experience, something that sticks out to me is especially you know, when Maggie mentioned about you know bringing in teachings from their from their former denominations. Um, I noticed from my childhood when we were first in the Messianic movement when I was 12, 13 years old in the 90s, and that there was a lot more people coming into the Messianic movement at that time that were realizing that they had more to learn. So while they might not get rid of all of their old theology, the most predominant one that we dealt with back then was pre-trib rapture versus post-trib rapture. Um, they knew that they needed to learn about the messianic way of life. They needed to learn about the Jewish roots of their faith. They needed to learn what Jesus did. They needed to learn all of those things. So they had a much different attitude. I'm not saying it, was, it wasn't universal. We still dealt with with some of the fringe folks that, you know, always looking for a new manna and sometimes that manna was rotten. Um, but that seemed to be more, by and large, the the tone of all folks that came into the Messianic movement. Fast forward to today, and, you know, we are 25 years later, and in the, especially the past 10 years, this has become a predominantly difficult issue that it seems like the tide has turned, that rather than the majority of people coming in are coming in to learn more, the majority of people are coming in, they are just... They might be the fundamentalist Christians, they might be from World War Church of God, they might be from the Catholic faith, they might be from Baptist, whatever, but there's still that, they're just now putting on a kippah and tallit and saying Yeshua and, and celebrating the feasts. So they're not really messianic, they're just they're just now going to, to, to church on Saturday and doing all the same things, and they're wondering why you're not doing the same thing. And the more and more of them that actually exist in these congregations the harder it is for the congregation leaders to control that faction and to actually teach them because they're not coming in teachable. They're coming in to be there and you're going to deal with them. So um, that might be an overgeneralization for some cases, but that this is, this is part of what we're dealing with, with the lack of this core theology, with the lack of this is who we are and this is who you are agreeing to be by becoming a member of this congregation, by by being here and being being a part of this. And perhaps your fringe behavior is off-putting to, to Jewish potential believers that are coming in the door for the first time to actually hear about their Messiah. They, they, they finally felt drawn in here and now they're being distracted by this and wondering what this place is. And that's happening. That is that is definitely happening. So that's that's part of the lack of the lack of of a of a, of a theolo- theological background to to slough off the important issues. Not everything, you know, as as Mama discussed, there's a tiered system, but there are some important things beyond loving each other in Yeshua that we really do need to align on mm-hmm. um, because of the Messianic movement's mission to the Jewish people uh, in the world. Jane, thank you for that feedback. Uh, Pop, 
what is the biggest issue facing today's messianic movement? What do you think about that? Well, the I say it's it's unity, but it's really the lack of unity, okay? And that's that's very bothersome to me. And and because uh as Maggie pointed out, we're of the uh baby boom generation. The, the fact of the matter is uh we've had the privilege of getting to know a lot of the uh the leaders of uh you know the, the uh Messianic Jewish community of faith as well as uh, had interactions with a lot of the folks from the, the Hebrew Roots group. And but since we've spent primarily the most of the time with the Messianic Jewish guys, we, we got to know a lot of those rabbis that are uh, were called definitely to begin the congregations they they have. And now that they're in their, their uh, senior seasons in many regards, in their 60s, 70s, and 70s, and some in their 80s, um, what's bothersome to me is the lack, the lack of unity in terms of, um, you know, what I've observed uh, in in uh, the time we've spent with them. Now, that, that's bothersome to me because not only do we talk about, you know, the one new humanity that Paul talks about in Ephesians 2, where, where the Jew and the non-Jew are supposed to come together because the wall of partition has been, has been uh, torn down because of the blood of the Messiah, but... Uh, I'm, I'm seeing even among the the Jewish uh, rabbis, the ones who have been called to start their congregations, many of them, and this is just my opinion, many of them, uh, it doesn't appear, are helping advance God's kingdom, but many of them are advancing their own kingdoms. Meaning, I, I have a hard time seeing them wanting to work together, work together in unity. And, and yet, when we go to uh, you know the, the, the passage in John fourteen to seventeen, where Yeshua is is at, at the Last Supper and he's having these great statements he's making about the unity that 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 he has with the Father, the Father has with him, and that he has with the disciples that are there with him, uh, he says very plainly that it's by the it's by the love you have for one another, the love that that is that is evident that people will, will actually tangibly be able to see in the way you react and work with one another, that that is what is going to be used by the Holy Spirit to draw others to you. And so that's that's a really, it's a concerning thing for me to, to uh, be around a lot of these, these, these uh, men, principally the rabbis who, who are not, uh, wanting to work together, they, and a lot of that is just—it's just a natural reaction because a lot of them are primarily focused on on what God's called them to do, and that's principally start a Messianic Jewish congregation with their wives, and and in so doing, they're they're so focused on building their own uh, support base, if you will, from the, who comes into their assembly, that that they really they really don't know that hey. There's a there's a lot of people that are coming into your assembly, and as we've noted over the years, predominantly non-Jews. And I don't know what I don't know what the uh, the actual percentage of non-Jews are 
across the board to most of the Messianic Jewish congregations that we've been exposed to, but it's it's probably well in excess of eighty to ninety percent that are that are non-Jewish people, and in those eighty to ninety percent, there happen to be a lot of people who are very gifted by the Holy Spirit to be involved in some capacity, and so it's 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 been my understanding and getting to know a lot of the non-Jewish guys also is they get the feeling at times that even though they might have a lot of gifting, let's say they can teach or they can preach or they can minister in, in a multitude of different ways, that they're not being appreciated and used as effectively. And so so the oneness that should be there, the unity that should be there that allows that congregation to grow and 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 uh, reproduce itself with with more disciples and, and and teach you know teach the younger people teach the teach those that are uh, the women teaching the the young girls the men teaching the young men and and consequently the the whole body learning from the um, the skilled teachers both men and women who have that ability uh, it's it's it saddens me and so that. That's a problem that um, I'm trying to address in the way I can address it as I interact with these guys and try and prompt them to consider uh, becoming more uh, collaborative in efforts, uh, in various efforts, whether ministerially or uh, congregationally. And and so I, I don't know. That's, you know, I, I, you know, I thought we, we were going to work on a 75 minute deal here and I was suggesting we, we pass this along to because I have a whole teaching I came up with that, that I'd like to, to share but I don't think this is the appropriate time to do that and you know just a bunch of verses in scripture we haven't touched on too many scriptures tonight but there's a whole bunch of scriptures in, in those passages in John 14 to 17 and elsewhere that uh, that will you know give us the the, the Lord's instruction to us, and, and that I mean, you, you got you got to look at that like that's His last will and testament. That, that's kind of the last serious amount of communication He's giving to us, uh, His disciples, and us. You know, those that receive the message of the disciples, and 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 we should be exemplifying that oneness that He so desires because. When the world sees that, when the world sees, in particularly when the world can see the Jews and the non-Jews working together in concert with one another, it's a testimony to both groups of people. It's a testimony to the Jewish people that, oh, wow, these non-Jews, they're not unclean. You know, they, there's something pretty unique about them. And, and, and they seem to be loving and they seem to be able to do things that uh, that, that we're doing and they're not offending me, and 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 on and on the the other side of the equation, the non-Jews can look at the Jewish guys and embrace them like like brothers and sisters in the Lord. And as we've experienced, when when we have those those people we know who are from a Jewish background, when they truly and we can discern that they are truly born again, they are some of the most loving and wonderful people that we've experienced in our time, the 30 years we've been in the Messianic community of faith. But quite frankly, it's, it's, it's like, I don't know what the expression is. It's kind of like a, a, a cactus or a prickly pear or something. They can be loving. They can be loving on the inside, 
but there's a lot of little needles sticking out from them sometimes, and it's hard it's hard to hug a, a, a porcupine or a cactus. It just it just isn't anything that uh, unless so you got to break through that. And 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 anyway, I'm you know could go on and on and on about you know that's the biggest thing on my heart and desire is to before I die, I'd love to see I'd love to see the body of Messiah, Jew and non-Jew, Jew unified and working together in concert to advance God's kingdom here on earth. And, um, you know, to the end of my life, that's what I plan to be working on. I just have a quick observation to the things you've just summarized. Um, I absolutely agree with the lack of unity present. We've got to do something about it. Uh, There should be a better way for people to work together. If that has to start at people not working against one another, that would be great. Uh, But I do know that there is a deep Jewish fear among uh, many Messianic Jewish believers with this non-Jewish majority Messianic movement. Are non-Jewish issues now going to utterly overwhelm legitimate issues for Jewish ministry? And I think uh, we absolutely see that. That's why, uh, starting this episode out, we don't have parity with the church or synagogue in terms of the topics we can talk about. If we're not relevant to Jewish people, secular Jewish people, progressive Jewish people, if we can't talk about the things which matter to them, we're not going to fulfill the Messianic mission. Uh, so there's no easy answer to this. Uh, we're putting a lot of things out there on the table. Uh, Maggie, do you have any uh, comments you'd like to add to this? So we're all we're all human, right? And everybody in the Mexican movement is human. So nobody's going to be perfect. But I think we've all ex- I know we've all experienced good leaders and not good leaders, right? Of congregations we've been to, whether we've visited or have attended. And so yes, I do. I, I agree with you, Pop. That there is division, um, and, and there's also there's also places in unity too. Um, where some where some are more in it for themselves and others are not, and, and that's in the world too. So so we're not we are not exempt from that. I think sometimes that there's a mentality that oh we're, we're in the messianic movement, so that means everything we're going to do is going to is going to turn out perfectly because God's involved. And it's true. I, I believe the Lord's hand is over us, but we are human and He gave us free will. We are going to make mistakes. There are going to be egos, and we have to work through it. Um. I think another, I think what also contributes to, to a lot of leadership is being that they tend to be reactive as opposed to proactive. And so you might be reacting to like certain little things. Okay, I got to snuff this out, snuff that out, you know, and as opposed to thinking, like thinking more short term as opposed to long term. Okay, where is my congregation going to be in five to 10 years, 20 years, you know, when am you know. And who is going to come after me? Some have that mindset, others do not. And what does that tell you? Right? And I think that is a contributing factor as well. Mother. One thing that has always startled me was a lot of the Messianic Jews were not expecting non-Jews to come into their synagogues. They thought that they had 
you know, the whole idea of we don't have to be Hebrew Christians and be in the church. We now can actually be Jewish because this is the way it was in the first century before it was changed by the different edicts that became the Catholic Church, etc. And one thing that they don't understand is, you know, what, you know, what, why are these Gentiles here? We have to be called as a Gentile family, Gentile individuals. We have to be called to come to the Messianic movement and to leave our safe spaces in the church that we grew up in. But what, and, and we have a what's called a Ruth calling to come into this. But what these the Messianic Jews that I know don't quite understand is by us coming in to the Messianic movement and to be Torah observant, to be biblically kosher, we are validating that what they are doing by not assimilating into the church, but by having a Messianic Jewish, you know, uh, congregations, understanding, flavor of their lives we validate them by coming and walking with them and you know many of them are have been hurt by their own uh jewish families because you can't believe in jesus you know you're you're dead to us you know we've all heard those stories we also have had family turn on us like why are you leaving the church you must not believe in jesus anymore and all that and so there's a unity that we should have an understanding that we're coming from our own separate backgrounds coming together and work together but we validate them with this ruth calling that where you know your god will be my god where you go i will go and even to the point where i will die with you and that's how we feel in in our family and our in our walk with the lord we validate the messianic jews by walking with them and a fuller understanding of scripture from yeshua and the disciples and Paul, et cetera, et cetera. Jane. So I think unity, well, I certainly hear everything you're saying, Dad, and and everyone else. Um, it's a byproduct of all these other issues that we're talking about. So yes. one of the things, you know, just from a leadership perspective, you're always trying to unify the group. You're trying to unify the team. You're trying to unify the company, the the family, whatever. Is You have a common cause, idea, principle, goal that you're unifying around and we lack that common goal as as the charge in the messianic community right now because we don't have a centralized theology there might be a centralized theology at at your local congregation but that's not like we don't have the conferences like the methodists do or the southern baptists do or we, we don't we don't have that where they all actually come together and discuss their theology and and come up with those tenets that that they're going to make sure that we we stay together um one of the things i have seen uh, unity wise in the last you know, since since the fall is all of the messianic community unifying with the jewish community for the war that's happening in israel right now and, and in Gaza, and we've seen that, like, they all got in line, here we go, you know, we 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 get all these updates all the time, we're, my congregation, we're seeing Kaddish every week to, for the fallen soldiers, and the, the families hurt, and all of that, and that's something that's brought together the community, because it's a real thing that's happening right now in the world, and to and to the Jewish population, and to Israel, um, and all those things, so that, that's been able to unify people around, around something that's important, so the lack of unity that you feel on a day-to-day basis, I think, comes from this lack of purpose, this lack of driven goal that we're all rallying around. We have the unity as a family. We have the unity as a family ministry 
Um, we all we we've always known what's important as a family, so we we feel unified together. But how how can the Messianic movement feel that same way? And it's it starts with answering some of these questions, having some of the dealing with some of the conflicts, not being afraid of the conflict, because sometimes conflict needs to happen so that you become unified. Because the longer you keep the conflict there, the worse it gets, and the more um, the more issues that you have, and the more issues you create. So um, that's that's really what I think of. We need we need these these unifying things. We need these things to come together, um, and it starts it starts one on one with people, and then it starts you know in small groups, and then in congregations, and then so on and so on, um, to keep that and to keep that goal in mind. And if people don't have a goal, you help them get one <laughs> to bring them together, to bring them into the vision. Because what is the current vision of the Messianic movement? We knew that when we joined it 25 years ago, but that's not the same thing today. And part of that is because we're not teaching the history. Well, We're not the, teaching where we came from. The main right. goal of the Messianic movement is to promote Jewish outreach, Jewish evangelism, and Israel solidarity, and to provide a place for Jewish believers in Yeshua. Now, along with that has come along non-Jewish believers tangibly embracing their faith heritage in Israel's scriptures. The nations mm -hmm. will come streaming to Zion in the last days to be taught from Moses' teaching, and hopefully with us together, working as co-laborers in the salvation of Israel and heralding the return of Israel's Messiah. Now, Jane, as you observed, a lot of the Messian community has come together right now because of the post-October 7 mm -hmm. events in the world, anti-Semitism, mm -hmm. we've got a band together, mm -hmm. and everything else. So will we finally figure out what we're supposed to do and what we're, who we're supposed to be with all of these external pressures? Um you know, if God has to use drama, God will use drama. Uh, so uh, we are now down to our final topic. Jane, uh, what is the biggest issue facing today's messianic movement? Um, uh, my biggest topic is gender roles. Just going to go for it. Um, and particularly talking about women and how women are seen and utilized or not utilized within the messianic movement. But to be fair, this isn't just an issue with Messianics. This is an issue worldwide with many, many congregations and denominations. Um, getting started with this, I want to make sure that we talk about it from a, a traditional perspective and not just shut down and say the woke progressivism thing, because we're just talking about the moderate, the moderate viewpoint. We're going to exclude the super liberal, super woke, what is gender thing. That's not today. <laughs> <laughs> this is a man is an X and Y chromosome. A woman is an X and X chromosome. And um, and women can biologically have children if, God, if the Lord blesses you in that way. Uh, one of the verses that I think sums this up that is important for starters comes from Galatians. It's uh, Galatians 3, 26 through 28. And I'm reading from the complete uh, Jewish New Testament uh, Bible. For in union with the Messiah, you are all children of God through this trusting faithfulness, because as many of you were as were immersed into the Messiah, have clothed yourself with the Messiah in whom there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free man, neither male nor female. For in union with the Messiah, Yeshua, you are all one. And I like to paraphrase this in the in the kingdom of heaven, there is no male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. These, these these assignments don't exist in the kingdom of heaven. Um, 
I believe the Lord gave every one of us talents on this earth to do. And that has nothing to do with whether we're a male or a man or a woman. Now, because I'm a female, that certainly has influence in how I act within the world and how I interact with other people and what my, what my world uh, view is and what my perspectives are in dealing with folks. And there are certain things that are inherently female that come with that perspective that certainly are infused in, in how I interact. Same with there are certain things that are inherently male that, that come from how dad and John and other men interact with folks. But the Lord gave us talents and my talents may mirror what another man has and what another man's talents may be may mirror what another female has. It's it's how we were trained. It's how the Lord decided that we were supposed to be when we were born. <laughs> I've done a lot. I previously mentioned my I, my background is in leadership development, group dynamics, engaging people, um, and in organizational structures. And you know, just because um, the messianic movement has, in many ways, existed in a bubble, doesn't mean that you don't deal with the same leadership problems, the same group dynamics issues, everything else. Because um, we are all new, unique, just like everybody else. So <laughs> it's uh, it's the same thing that we're all dealing with. And um, I think one of the, and being such a strong, a female with such a strong personality from a young age, um, this is something that has been near and dear to my heart because it's something that I have dealt with my entire life. Um, and, and not just in messianic circles, in church circles, in, in the world, in the world circles. And there's this issue with how do I be who I know God made me to be? How do I use the talents because we're required to use them. I mean, there's parables about this. We're required to use them. We're not supposed to get them and bury them. We're supposed to use them. So how do I utilize them if I'm never given a platform because that person won't let me because I'm a woman? Mm -hmm. um, and that's not right. And so in all of these things, I go back to to where leadership starts. Um, and one of the fundamental things that I train, that I teach in leadership is knowing yourself. Knowing yourself, knowing your strengths, knowing your weaknesses, knowing um, knowing what you do well, knowing what you don't do well, knowing where you can contribute the most to the group, know, knowing the situations where you need to pull yourself back and let others shine. Um, knowing yourself is very, very important. And that goes from being just the person who's going to follow everybody else um, and just help out where they can to the very top of the congregational leader, to the president of the United States, to, to whomever. We all need to know ourselves first and be honest. Being honest is hard. <laughs> Um, it is really hard, especially when it comes to the difficult stuff. But without that, we can't have the difficult conversations. We can't learn more about ourselves. We can't grow as people. We can't we can't fix situations. We continue to make the same same mistakes over and over again because we're not being honest. Um, and if we can't be honest with ourselves, how can we be honest with other people? We're not perfect. We can't even begin to be perfect. That's Yeshua. Um, but we can grow and we can change. We can ask forgiveness and we can make mistakes. So definitely want to start with knowing yourself. Um, and with, and the next phase of that is self-awareness. Um, because it's not just, it's not just good that I can sit and, and tell you all the things that are wrong with me and write that on a, on a piece of paper with, um, you know, for my next performance evaluation, it has to be like when I'm, in, when I'm in a daily situation and I'm, I'm in a bad mood or I've had this certain thing happen, I need to have self-awareness that I'm contributing to the problem rather than contributing to the solution. At the same time, when I know that I'm trying to make things better, I also can be self-aware to push through um, even when it gets hard. So all of those things are, are important in leadership. And so what's the purpose of all of this kind of leadershipy stuff to talk about congregations and congregations. Um, there are, 
there are lots of very worthy women who are there. And if they get to lead, most of the time, they're like, there are a lot of congregations are like, oh, yeah, we totally have women, a woman leader. If they need to like put that out there, she's the one in charge of the, of the kids program every time, every time we might be lucky and she might be in charge of the dance group, too. We might have two. But do either of those people actually have a slot on the elder board of the Shah machine? Do they? Yeah. Never. <laughs> um, their husbands might be on there because, oh, by the way, if you're going to be a leader like that, you have to be married. Um, and that's that's a topic for another day because that that affects both men and women in leadership. That a lot of congregations have this idea that in order to be in leadership, you have to be married. Um, not all, but this is part of that fundamentalist thing that's come in. Um, and again, being married has nothing to do with whether God gave you a talent. <laughs> being, it, has, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with your willingness to serve and the ability for others to let you serve. So in when it comes to gender roles, there's another biblical principle that we've always been taught from birth. Speaking of marriage, equal yoking. In order to be equally yoked, the male and the female have to be in lockstep. It's not like this. It's like this. You're looking, you're going together, you're pulling the cart, you're going towards the destination, you're together. So why do we have so many congregations that we have an elder board that the eldress doesn't have a clue what's going on? She's she's publicly, she is a a leader of the congregation because that's a leader, that's an elder family. But pri- but privately, she has no say, she's not involved, she has no idea. I'm not saying that that's universal, but that does happen if we run into plenty that that's the case. It's the same with the Shaw machine. They both go up there and get blessed when they're all, when they join the Shaw machine board, but then we only see one and we only get one talked about the other one. And, and in some cases, maybe they're all, they're all doing the job together, which is awesome. That's to do with their marriage, but where's the recognition? They're both leaders um, in this family. We grew up, I grew up in ministry in a ministry leader family. So all of us knew from a young age that we were on stage. We were on stage. We were part of this. We're leading as a family. We're doing this together. We all had our parts. Um, you know, we showed up and, and, and helped out however we needed to. That's continued on into adulthood. Um, that starts young. And that's because I have a strong mother who made sure that her young daughters and her son we're, we're also leaders, not just not just her father leading the family, because it's the whole family that comes together. The the, fa- the families that are in order that they talk about, you need to be in the scripture, <laughs> in the Bible, yeah. both are leading and the children are coming up with them and becoming leaders themselves as part of the process. So gender roles, the fact that these patriarchal views that have gotten worse in recent years because of the previous mention of more fundamentalists coming into the movement and we have the big tent so these issues aren't being addressed we've become more patriarchal than less in the last 20 20 25 years and and that's unnecessary because this has nothing to do with you put a woman a woman in leadership and all of a sudden everything becomes progressive and woke and and it goes chaos it's like that's that's not how the you're talking about you're putting a stereotype on an individual mm-hmm. and the, the stereotype doesn't apply to that individual. If any one of us lead, we're not going to bring in that stuff. We're going to bring in scripture. We're going to, we're going to be the leaders that the Lord designed us to be. So give us that opportunity. Um, okay. I'll stop here because again, I'm, this is a long soapbox and I've talked about a lot of things. So um, please join in my family.
Yes, Maggie, do you have any feedback to what Jane so, just said? So, I, Jane, I agree with what you said. We could go on and on and on about this. <laughs> this is why um, I was going last. <laughs> so, what I will say to keep this short is I think, I, I definitely agree with you that it's gotten worse than better, but that's not always true. Right, mm-hmm. the place I there, there are always exceptions, but yeah, we have, we have female members on our board. We have, you know, one of our cantors is female, so it's you know, it's mm-hmm. it's not everywhere. Yeah. But there's other places that are mm-hmm. definitely seen that too. I even know of a place, our one of our former places we attended to visit is you know has a female teacher, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, our one of our pastors' late wives, uh, mm-hmm. or our his wife. Uh, he's deceased um is is leading um but it feels like those things are always considered the exception that's the one because of that person right and it's it's always a head scratcher and i mean i i'm used to getting uh, a lot of head scratches too just based on what (laughs) i do for a living but i won't get into that soapbox at all it's not appropriate for this form but I think that we are definitely holding ourselves back by restricting. We can being very rigid. We can only do this. And again, that's not everywhere, but, but it is still, there's still some steams of it. Right. And, it, and again, it depends on where you go and, and, and where you are and, and the backgrounds of people. And I, and I think no matter what um, male or female, it's, it's about, you know, everybody's got their own talents and what you bring to the table um, not every man is going to be a type A, very boastful, you know, loud, um, uh, outgoing male, even though that's the stereotype, right, of, of a teacher or a leader. That's, that's not, that's not true. A lot of leaders are actually introverts, right? You don't have to be an extrovert to be a leader, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it doesn't mean all women are quiet and, or shy, or all they want to do is just, you know, uh, help with the own egg and teach and teach the kids. Those are good things. I'm not mm-hmm. knocking those things. Right. But you know, maybe, maybe one of the men want to help with own egg because they have a really good brisket they can make or whatever. Like your husband's an excellent cook. Those are all talents. <laughs> right. And so when we, we are holding ourselves back and not, we're not going to fully grow as a movement. If we continue this. Um, and not just growing spiritually, but also growing physically, right? Like you need more people and you're going to, going back to my point earlier with the pyramid, like you're not going to get new people in. You're going to turn a lot of people off. If it's like, oh, well you need to come in with a head covering and you need to do this. Like that's your personal choice. That's fine. But you're going to just like completely shut people down if that's one of the things you're going to do. Right. And saying, oh no, you can't, you can't say anything because you know, you're a woman or like, oh, well, Maybe maybe you're elevating men that shouldn't be elevated too. I think you see also a lot of that. Well, he's you know he's a guy, so you should be you know doing this. And it's like well maybe he doesn't want to. And I think there's insecurity. Mm-hmm. There's definitely insecurity, and that's there's fear um, because it goes back to things we've already discussed. That mm-hmm. oh if we if we let this in, then oh, it's all just gonna go into chaos and now we're gonna have you know lesbian rabbis and it's like okay that's let's people use that at that extreme to promote fear from actually letting something (laughs) happen with this is very clearly a talented female that we know and trust and she's married to this person who's also a leader why can't she that's 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 usually the situation and then 
the discussion is the other and they're not, yeah. they're not compared with each other it, there it, are, and we just we're not and we're not helping ourselves so i but yeah, there are many different mm-hmm. factors which have contributed to femophobia i mean we've all heard of things like homophobia being mm-hmm. afraid of homosexuals islamophobia being afraid of muslims but uh there's a thing of there's there's a real tangible femophobia in a significant uh majority of today's messianic community and this is messianic judaism we're talking about hebrew roots one law two house pronomian christianity on the whole is even worse uh so this is something uh which is is not going to be easy to address uh but it but it definitely needs to be addressed so we we're going to close with my parents mark and margaret Huey talking about uh, this subject and how we can hopefully make some improvements. Uh, Well, I definitely believe that everything we have discussed tonight, each one of the five topics we've had, needs to have its own two-hour discussion. Probably. And And I love all of the different topics, and I particularly have an affinity for Jane's topic because I am a female. And I certainly have my track record, both in the church and the messianic movement of being used, being not used, being overlooked. And, and it's kind of comes in seasons. But what my, I have two main points. First is I see too many men who want to be fundamentalist Christians, believing the inerrant word of God, but in a very parochial, way and they would rather not delve deep into what does the original scripture say about these different topics they would rather read some church father from 200 years ago when women had no rights whatsoever and we find this a little too much john is very good at going into the original languages and pulling out that how much yeshua uses the women and it was it was earth changing back then because the con- the culture had not been using women. The women were following him. They helped share the message. It's all through the New Testament. And we have deaconesses in the New Testament. We have a an apostle named Junia, and we know that different uh, translations try to make her that she was a friend of the apostles. And the deaconess, uh, Phoebe, was not really a deaconess. She was just a sort of a leader. And they downplay it because of the times that these, that these different church um, fathers were writing. But let me remind you of this. There's a commandment that puts the women on par with the men. And it says, honor your father and your mother. It doesn't say honor your father. It puts them both together on equal footing. And if we can remember that, then we can go into scripture and see what is it really saying here? Are the women being used or not in the New Testament? How revolutionary was Yeshua's message to the women? How have women been used down through the ages? You know, I know that uh, I'm overlooked a lot in the Messianic movement as a, as a female. Um, I've been categorized to be able to do one thing. Thank goodness my husband is an elder, so I do uh, get to speak out in different formats, but I'm not going to be used as a teacher. And I used to teach quite a bit and give personal testimonies uh, when I was 
in the in, in the evangelical Methodist Church. Haven't been able to do any of that in the Messianic movement unless my husband was right there with me, being my covering. Well, my covering is the Lord, and I'm very thankful to have Mark as my husband, but I have my own gifts and talents that have not been used because people have forgotten that we're on parity. Neither junior Greek, male nor female, bond nor free. And we're all one. And there's a priesthood of all believers, not just the men. And, you know, all of this is through all the different things that we've talked about, you know, parity and um, solid theology, unity, uh, gender roles, modernity, post-modernity. It's all in there. And we just need to be honest with scripture, honest with our walk, honest with the Holy Spirit, the still small voice within us um, to be all that we can be. And I think too many things are not done because, well, that's a, we'd rather have a male in this position who kind of doesn't have the qualifications because he's male and will overlook a female who really could be doing that, um, filling that spot much easier and much, and, and be called of the Lord. So this is something that is part of this post-modernity world. And it's, uh, of course, you know, right here, we've got five of us and only two are male and three of us are female and yet we're in pretty good order in our family and uh all being honest and being able to share and john i want to thank you for putting this together well i think that uh one of hasatan's greatest ploys is to eliminate half of humanity Amen. From being used in in so many places. I mean, if you think about it, because of the patriarchal mindset that has moved down through the millennia, it's he's done a pretty effective job of putting women, quote unquote, in their place and and keeping them there and uh, pregnant and barefoot or whatever, you know, all the different expressions. But I I think uh, because I married a, a very strong and godly woman who, uh, as Jane put it, uh, prefers equal yoking, which is what we, which, which, which we've modeled our relationship on. Um, I, I wouldn't be anywhere without Margaret. I mean, I, I believe in the, the concept of when the two come together, they actually become one flesh or, or one humanity, if you will. In other words, uh, what what Margaret brings to me with all of her talents and gifts and her her female uh, aspects of her uh, life is is things I don't have, and and on the flip side, I bring to her the things that she doesn't have, and of course, when we're when we're working together and and arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, uh, working through the issues of life, hey. It's wonderful because you know we we can check and balance one another when 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 one is going a little bit off off target or the other one is uh, uh, going too far ahead or too far behind and we can we can that that's a whole part of of uh, completing one another and and it's in the Messiah you know the old three strand thing that is talked about in Ecclesiastes there okay so we so because because we have the Messiah in common. And he he is our more than our mediator. He he is he's 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 who we're connected through. 
And as I, as I try to explain to a lot of you know people from the the, uh, the female side of humanity, I, I tell them, um, you know, God, He really isn't that interested in what wraps the heart. He He's looking for hearts. Okay, it doesn't matter what sex you are. Doesn't matter what age you are, it doesn't matter what color you are, it doesn't matter what ethnicity you are, it doesn't matter what where you came from or where you're going, but he's he is looking at our hearts. And that if he finds hearts that are like David's heart was, men and women after God's own heart, well man, he can use them. And if you can get two people who have that same heart's desire to pursue God and be offering themselves up as living sacrifices so that they can serve him in whatever capacity he has formed them to serve him, that is a beautiful and a wonderful thing. I think one thing that I've discovered in terms of this, this, uh, the, and they're, and they're pushing that they they push this a lot in a messianic community. And I think they, and I learned this from, uh, uh, John's uh, you know, expertise in Greek, because I'm certainly not a Greek scholar, but one thing that I picked up on when he was talking about the passage in Ephesians 2, where it talks about one new anthropos, okay? One new anthropos. It's, it's not one new man. It's one new humanity. It's one new humanity. And humanity is nothing if you don't have the male and the female component, or guess what? I don't know anybody who's budding. I don't know anybody who, who who's actually uh, cloning. And and how in the world could God have created uh, and, and allowed humanity to fulfill the mandate to multiply and fill the earth unless he had both components coming together? So, and unfortunately... A lot of these guys in the Messianic community are talking about one new man, and, and they emphasize man, and they so well, it's Jew and non-Jew. Hey, you guys are missing the bigger picture. It's one new humanity, okay? One new humanity. That, that, that's the completion of us. And yes, we, we see it all the time in, 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 you know, in the different places we've been where, where I consider Margaret equal to me i mean i i mean i i don't think i'm superior to Mar- margaret i know lots of places like things she can do and the way her mind works in certain things i am amazed and hopefully sometimes she will appreciate some of the things where i am able to excel but that's that's the wonderful thing about a marriage okay that's the wonderful thing about a marriage because we marry each other for better, for worse, in sickness and health, you know, uh, in riches or poor, whatever, and until death do we part, okay? And so we're here, we're here for a season. And when God puts you together, he puts you together because he has a desire to use you to help advance his kingdom. Because once again, it's all about him, okay? It's all about why we're here for 70 years, maybe 80 by strength, you know, in our case, we might make it into our 90s or we're shooting for 100, okay? We're shooting for 100. We've got genetic makeup that may allow us to go that far. We don't know every, you know, our, our days are numbered. We don't know, you know, what what our number of our days are going to be. But we do know that while we're here, 
And while we're, we're still together, that our heart's desire is to place ourselves in the, in the hands of our Holy Heavenly Father and to go, Father, lead us, guide us, and use us. Because, because when it's all said and done, if, if at the end of, at the end of the, uh, the, the trail, whatever, wherever that is and whenever that is, hey, what, what, what do any of us want to receive other than looking at the Messiah's face and having him look at each of us and say, hey, well done, good and faithful servant, okay? So we're here to serve him. We were created to serve him. And, and if we're here to serve ourselves, and if we're here to serve our flesh, well, you know, I think, I think at the end of the road, you're going to be pretty miserable. You're going to be lying on, on, on your deathbed going, huh, oh, wow. Boy, what, look at all the things I got accomplished. Well, a lot of those things, as the scripture tells us, they all burn up in the big fire. The things that are eternal last. That's why That's why a simple scripture says a wise man or a wise woman, a wise human wins souls. So we're here, as the scriptures tell us, as we as we come together as one, and 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 that's and that that that's a reference to some of those those passages in the in John seventeen. Hey, even even us as one can be a testimony to other couples, and other couples can see that the oneness we have is something they might might want to emulate. It's something they might want to emulate, so that they too can be as useful and functional in God's work down here on earth while we're here so so i you know i, I i'm down on patriarchy i mean i, I mean I, I you know it, it's it's a touchy subject because when you're in a congregation where patriarchy is is being um promoted whether and that's in a majority of messianic congregations to clarify huh? mm-hmm. patriarchy what? being is promoted in a majority of messianic congregations well, yeah of course and, and it is and that's and, and i don't know if that's insecurity or just lack of knowledge about how God how God created us to function as men and women okay I mean I mean I, and I think it's I think a lot of it is just it's what they've inherited because it's what that was modeled to them wherever they, wherever they grew up and that, and then consequently that's you know they've fallen into that trap but but we're new creatures in the Messiah so then all, all those things have been you know should have been you know left at the uh uh, at the altar, if you will, when we when we became a new creature, and 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 because our minds are being renewed, okay, but, you know, and, and we should be having the mind of Messiah. The Messiah, I, you know, you know, I think he, I, I believe he was a man, okay. I think he had male characteristics, but I don't think he was that concerned about his manhood, okay. He was more concerned concerned about his assignment to be. A sacrifice for humanity, and humanity includes all men and women. Well, one of the things we know about the one new humanity, which uh, will solve all of our problems if we can fully get it, is that it has to be purged of the old humanity, the sin-laden effects of the old humanity. And uh, for some people, it is a longer process than for others. Now, we know with this final topic that gender roles, men and women, it's a huge controversy. Uh, I want to be sure to direct you all, if you'd like to know more, to our ministry publication, 
men and women in the body of Messiah answering crucial questions. Uh, this is available for $12.95 in paperback, uh, and it will go into a lot of the uh, difficult matters as well as uh, reviews some of our family's uh, experiences in the Messianic community. Everyone, I'd, I'd like to just uh, thank you for participating uh, in this episode. What is the biggest issue facing today's Messianic movement? Part of Family Unfiltered. Uh, Maggie, we're so sorry that your husband Taylor was unable to join us because of his illness, but uh, hopefully uh, he will be with us uh, sometime in the next few weeks as we Look forward to having another uh, Family Unfiltered for Messianic Insider. So uh, thank you all for joining us. As always, on behalf of Outreach Israel Ministries and Messianic Apologetics, uh, we thank you for your ongoing prayers, encouragement, support for our ministry efforts. Uh, you can donate at outreachisrael.net forward slash support. We will see you again soon with another episode of Messianic Insider. Until then, God bless you, shalom, and take care.